We sit in hipster bars and discuss if we're poetic enough. We pet our neuroses till they curl up. Hello, my name is Ashley Mauritson. And this is Sarah Willie Hill. We are Demons, Demons and Dames. In today's episode, I'm going to be telling my pal Sarah here about Mary Toft, a lady in the early 18th century purported to have given birth to rabbits. <gasps> oh my goodness. But before I go anywhere else, I'm going to read her a little bit from an article from a newspaper of the time. Uh, just to let viewers know, I don't have an actual 18th century newspaper in front of me. I'm reading from a printout. I'm disappointed. I don't know if you are disappointed, but I'm disappointed. You can picture one. Okay. Do that for me. So, Crackly, here we go. Yellow. From the Weekly Journal, or the British Gazetteer, Gazetteer, Monday the 10th of October 1726. From Guildford comes a strange but well-attested piece of news that a poor woman who lives at Godalman, near that town, who has an husband and two children now living with her, was about a month past delivered by John Howard, an eminent surgeon and man, midwife living at Guildford, of a creature resembling a rabbit. <gasps> we should have saved this episode for Easter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good any time. So, who was Mary Toft? Mary Toft was baptised Mary Denier on 21st of February 1703 when good Queen Anne was on the throne. Recently seen in a film featuring a lot of rabbits. Oh my goodness. And mm-hmm. they were, she had a rabbit for every miscarriage. She did. Topical. Not relevant. But still interesting. So she was a daughter of John and Jane Denyer, um, was described in an unsighted source as a short, stoutish woman with coarse features, completely illiterate and of a stupid and sullen temper. Ooh, that's not very nice. I think we would all like to be (laughs) described so one time, one day. Um, She married Joshua Toft in 1720 and they had three children, Mary, Anne and James. So Godolman which is in the English county of Surrey. Very nice part of the world, I'm going to be honest, I don't know where that is. I don't either, but I know it's a very nice part of the world, apparently. (laughs) I think it's it's expensive, maybe. Um, It's near London, yet not London, so probably is. Somehow I'm imagining Peter Rabbit right now, I'm just saying. I think that seems like... I think you're going up the right... (laughs) (laughs) I think you should get rid of that picture because you're going to get very upset if you hold on to it. So in the early 18th century, Godalman has a population of two to 3,000 people, which is pretty large for a town of that period. It's not a terribly happy place because there's been a decline in the wool industry and leading to a lot of poverty and distress. Mm. Uh, Joshua is an unskilled cloth worker in the dying woolen industry and Mary works occasionally as an agricultural day worker when, you know, when there's work available. And Joshua is her husband. Joshua is her husband. So they are a struggling family. They, yeah, times are hard. When she becomes pregnant with her fourth child in early 1726... She would be 23 years old, so not doing too badly. And this bit may sound irrelevant, but believe me, it's very important. In April of that year, when she's about five weeks gone, she sees a rabbit jump up before her (gasps) when she's busy weeding or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she pursues it, but uh, she can't catch it. From that point onward, she craves rabbit meat. Uh, She dreams of it. (laughs) Pretty torrent stuff. You know what it's like when you're pregnant. Well, you don't, nor do I, but one hears. <laughs> <laughs> my mother ate a lot of semi-raw liver. Ew. Yeah, biggest baby ever born in my hospital. Result. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all that dreaming did Mary no good. She miscarries in early August. Oh, no. Yeah. But the symptoms of the pregnancy remain. Oh, so by symptoms you mean she still has an extended belly? I don't uh, know what she's other still symptoms craving pregnancy involves. Yeah, um, maybe. And what what else happens? I think your Hormonal nails changes. get kind of brittle, and your hair gets really nice. Really? Yeah, your hair gets really nice. But then after you have the baby, it all falls out. Things <gasps> they don't tell you in health class <laughs> for a reason. So the night it's September the twenty seventh, and this is really when the story begins. And I want you to bear in mind when you listen to what I have to say that what follows takes place over the period only less than three months. Um, On the September 27th, she's taken very ill. 
Her mother-in-law, who is a midwife, comes along to help her out, and she voids something which is taken to be the lights and the guts of a pig. What? What? Can so she's just shattered out? Not the, shattered, birthed, birthed out. She's just birthed out the guts of a pig and the light of a pig. What does that mean? It's awful. It's a really nice name for awful. Oh no! <laughs> when someone says you've got a light inside you. Not as great as you think. Um, this is exceptional uh, behaviour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really? Are there any other cases? Uh, well, well, we'll get on to that, actually. But, uh, you know, it's certainly exceptional Godol- in... What's it called? Godolman. Mm-hmm. So uh, the local man midwife, John Harrod, is called for. Because when the birthing shit gets real, the man midwife comes to town. I didn't know there was such a thing as a man midwife. Well, there was. Very much more so towards the end of the 17th century. Previously, it was very much a female... I'm going to call it an art. Female mm. art. But, um, you know... I think, as a side note, I think it's interesting because men coming into the birthing chamber happens at the same time that you get a uh, rise in witchcraft persecution. And the two mm. things are thought to be very much linked. I think that's um, I think that's a, an excellent point well made, Sarah. Glad to have you on board. <laughs> Yes, uh, John Harrod's invariably called out when there's a difficult and unusual childbirth in Godolman. And um, that's because of the popular view at the time, written as written by John Mowbray, who is an early 18th century teacher of midwives in his book, The Female Physician. Note, not referring to a physician who is female, because that would be simply ludicrous, but to a physician <laughs> of females. <laughs> oh, goodness. Men being better versed in anatomy, being better acquainted with physical helps and commonly in endowed with greater presence of mind, have always been found readier or discreeter, discreeter, yeah, right, <laughs> to devise something new and to give quicker relief in cases of difficult or preternatural births than common midwives Goodness. generally understand. So um, I hope you aren't, so if, you're, if you're feeling delicate, you might want to <laughs> pause for a bit now because uh, things are about to get freaky, freakier. In early October, Mary gives birth to a rabbit with three cat's paws and head. Now, there's a lack of clarity around this, but I'd be willing to venture the cat's paws are not attached to the rabbit. That seems like a lot of work. Okay, so she gives birth to a rabbit, live or dead? Mm Mm-hmm. Dead. Oh, goodness. Peter Rabbit. Yeah, um, Peter, I don't... (laughs) Beatrice Potter was not channeling this. So, a dead rabbit, three cat's paws and... A head. What kind of... of the cat. The cat's cat's head. head. Yeah. Jesus. Then, from that point on, she continues to give birth to one rabbit after another. Always dead and sometimes cut into two or three parts. Yeah, I'm mildly grossed out, I'm going to be honest. A lot of people were interested in this, you know, it became something the talk of the town. John Howard made himself the champion, the man midwife for the rabbit breeder. He writes letters to noblemen, to distinguished medical practitioners. Large crowds of country people come to see Mary and strange children and her strange children who are preserved in rows of bottles as part of John Howard's improvised anatomical museum. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. How much of an idiot do you think this John Howard figure is? Well... I'm wondering, and it was wondered by many afterwards, if John might have been working a bit of an angle here. Okay, noted. What, you know what they say? What do they say? They say all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Actually, that's not going to turn out to be the case for everyone involved in this. But at one point, when Mary's at the height of her powers, if you might call it that, she, there's talk of a king's pension. And I think John's hoping for something not a dissimilar. That's an ugly way of putting it. Wow. <laughs> Some thought John was, in fact, the one who devised the entire scheme, but lots of blame was sh- was shoved around at the point when things all started to go peak toll. He finally writes to the king's secretary himself after Mary's been delivered of 11 rabbits. Goodness. Keep on coming. The first doctor on this scene is Nathaniel Saint-André, a Swissman, as I think I can call him, being that mm. he was from Switzerland, um, of plebeian origin, a former dancing and fencing teacher who's never taken any medical degrees, but has managed to win himself a really preeminent position at court, largely by virtue of speaking German, which I, the majority of the Hanoverians yeah. exclusively do. I, I think I love this guy. <laughs> he was described as ignorant, foul-mouthed and lecherous. So, yeah, he sounds just like your okay. type. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Oh, ouch. Ow. I didn't mean that. <laughs> 
not true. In um, the king gave him a sword. He liked him that much. And the previous year, he claimed to have been poisoned. Many thinking a bit to advertise his practice. So he was all over this like a rash. He arrives at John Howard's house in Guildford, where Mary has been lodged since delivering her ninth rabbit. There's a timeline we could create here around rabbit births. <sighs> Maybe we'll do it and post it online. Something to look forward to. I really want to see the graph. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it's going to be so sweet. Let's use Peter. Um <laughs> He arrives to find her in labour with her 15th, numbers are climbing, within minutes the court anatomist has delivered the trunk of a rabbit, approximately four months of growth, stripped of its skin but containing the heart, the lungs and the diaphragm. Afterwards, I, I quote verbatim from something I read because I enjoy it so much, afterwards Mary seemed relieved and cheerful and sat down in a chair before the fire, as well she might. Goodness. <laughs> Two hours later... She delivers the lower body of a male rabbit, which perfectly fits onto the first delivery. Hmm. Later that same evening, grab your sick bag, Mary once again is struck by violent labour pains and delivers the skin of the rabbit, rolled together like a ball, and the animal's head with the fur still on it. (laughs) Every delivery is preceded by strange pulsating movement, which... uh, Saint Andre exa- uh, assumes to be the pulsating movement of the of the rabbits hopping live down her fallopian tube before what? getting chewed up in her well vagina. But that's that's terrifying. Formed in the ovaries. So he, you you said he didn't have a medical degree, right? Yes, he did not have a medical degree, but he was not alone. By the way, I mean more okay. and more doctors will come along. They'll buy into certain amounts of. You know, there'll be some of them will invest more in the idea than others. San Andre is certainly the most invested. You know, he can see here an opportunity to make a name for himself. This is a man who claimed to be poisoned did, in order to bur- build up his practice. Okay, did they start throwing around the term like uh, vagina dentata? No, they didn't. Point? But it's a shame they. But 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 you know, don't worry. There's going to be a lot of other fairly alarming uh, phraseology. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you chucked it out there because yeah. it's. A, it's something I'm always really happy to hear. (laughs) (laughs) So what's kind of, I find really um, interesting and hilarious is how San Andre manages to use all the things that would seem to indicate this was hoax as proof of the preternatural nature of the rabbits. So the first part of the rabbit that he extracts uh, from Mary has lungs, so they dip it in water. They put it in water, they submerge it. It floats. The implication Mm. of this is that the rabbit has at some point breathed you know it's not straight from the wind right um another test they do is to um to do an autopsy on it and they find within the rabbit much uh several pellets of a substance much of the same color and consistence as the common dung of a rabbit <gasps> so it's it's been around enough to um, eat and uh digest um hay i believe that's what they found in it now these two clear proofs of the fact that these rabbits had not been <laughs> had had been around prior to Mary. It was taken as proof of their preternatural nature. It showed that they did not follow the ordinary laws of physiology. Shocking that nice little nice little back flip there. Um, someone wrote about it. This animal, quote he, in all its parts, does with a natural rabbit well agree, and therefore it must preternatural be nice little conceit. Um, Howard, incidentally, is always ready with an explanation, which is why we think he might be a bit involved in this. It's Howard's theory that the animals have been crushed into pieces by powerful contractions of the uterus. Okay. Howard also posits that they have been skinned by the effect of the strong press of the womb towards the pubic bone. Uh. I'm surprised anything gets out alive. (laughs) When Sirius Ahlers, another German surgeon, delivers a 16th rabbit, he remarks at the way Mary roars with laughter at a joke cracked while she is in labour. And um, Howard reassures her that she merely has a very strong constitution. I, uh, I, I have come up with the Latin for this, if you're on the edge of your seat, waiting. Oh, thank God, I, never, I thought you'd never get there. Okay. <laughs> Quantum ad numerum dentate es dibent, which roughly translate to rabbit teeth vagina. Well... Um, my God! Surely, you know, I, I, surely, surely, there's a Jeff, there's there's a band, there's a band in there somewhere. <laughs> so, isn't that a song by Hole? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I 
rocked out to that in my teens. <laughs> this is the talk. By this point, news has gone far beyond. It's no longer just the talk of Surrey, wherever that may be, but it's the talk <laughs> of London, and all of London is divided into factions. Religious people suggest, yeah, you're ready for it, witchcraft, um, and that Mary is really a rabbit in the shape of a woman. Right. It's quite clever. Or is and so it? she's giving herself away by giving birth to rabbits. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, the logic in there is a bit twisted. It's a shame to get all that effort to disguise yourself as a lady and then be, you know, called out in that way. Others <laughs> blamed a criminal conversation. A criminal? What does I, that mean? I, I think they mean a bit more than a conversation. Uh, one pamphlet writer intimated that she'd kept a large buck rabbit as a pet and done it various unspecified acts of <gasps> kindness. So they're saying that this is the product of bestiality. Acts of kindness. <laughs> <laughs> that is my new euphemism. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let's let's keep with that. And others said there was a rabbit breeding inside her. You know your thing. You know, <laughs> you know that things have got strange, and that actually seems like the most sensible explanation. <laughs> so they're. Surely not one, but two rabbits breeding inside her for that to be logical. Not that it, it That's is. That's a very good point. I think you've cracked it. <laughs> <laughs> the most popular explanation, though, and it's one that's given enormous weight, is based in the popular understanding of the maternal imagination. Right. All right. I know. Doesn't that's just a phrase that sends sets off alarm bells if ever ever you heard them? The maternal imagination. Now, to understand to understand the maternal imagination, we need to understand the role of the imagination in sort of early modern science. Okay. So in early modern science, the body and the mind are very separate. Not only, and they're separate in terms of substance, and so, because they're substantially different, they require a medium to communicate, and mm-hmm. that is the imagination. Things we sense will cause feelings that will create changes in our physical body. Right. And it makes sense it's the imagination because the imagination deals in images. Mm-hmm. It transforms the incorporeal into the physical. So how does that work in terms of the maternal imagination? If the maternal imagination is excited in some fashion, say by intense affection, by sudden fright, by unsatisfied longing, that will be imprinted onto the fetus. So, sad mothers will have depressed children. I feel like we're going back to the acts of kindness here. <laughs> is, that, is that sounding more sensible? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I like to think of this as very, very primitive gene theory. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, sad mothers would have depressed children. Um, there's a corresponding belief that stimulating the imagination with a beautiful object will produce a beautiful child. As right. if when you're pregnant, you didn't have enough to worry about, you know, God knows what taking the underground <laughs> could, could do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, there, and there are books, you know, published telling people, you know, about the best women, the best way to conduct themselves in order to ensure. Um, are best. we talking about the present day? Because I feel like... Um, I don't think that... I don't know. I mean, I'm not really big. I'm not, I don't read a lot of, like, you know, prenatal literature at the moment. Um, I'm more invested in the early 18th century stuff. It's okay. more relevant to me somehow. I, I can't disagree with that. And this notion of maternal imagination is used to explain what would be termed monstrous births. Ooh, I promised you some good phrases. You did. Yeah. Monstrous births. What's a monstrous birth? Well, of course, in the 18th century, it could be radically different from what's considered monstrous today. Maternal imagination is used to explain births that we would not consider monstrous today. So, for example, a child with a strawberry birthmark, the cause for that might be the mother's um, craving for strawberries while pregnant. My goodness. Um, There are numerous, you know, numerous, numerous written cases of monstrous births. One woman who had watched the disembowelment of a calf with fascinated horror gave birth to a child with its viscera hanging out. Um, Another woman was said to have given birth to a boy who was circumcised at birth after listening... (laughs) In on the reading of some Jewish rites. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. But this idea is something that we actually find in a lot of classical medicine. You know, Pliny, Aristotle, Galen, they're all behind it. Um, Pliny writes of the Roman lady Alcipa, who gives birth to an elephant. Ouch! Fuck. And, um... There's an enormous amount of literature on it in, 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 in the early 18th century, um, and it spans from popular ballads to religious texts to sensationalist ones. Um, one of my famous favourite 17th century writers on the subject is called Old Worm. I'm reading it 
I'm not sure if it's old as an old worm or old as an ole worm. Um, <laughs> either either is great. A Danish anatomist who described a 1638 case of a woman laying two eggs. I've often wondered if it would be better to just lay eggs. <laughs> I think I, I, I want to be a platypus personally. I think it'd be brilliant. You're a mammal, but you lay eggs. That's wow. It's been a while since I thought about the platypus. Thanks for reminding me that. I'll be following it up later. Um, the sheer scale of this catalogue of documented evidence, whilst m- much of it was was admitted to be apocryphal or fraud, but the sheer scale of it meant that very few doctors would have been willing to actively state that monstrous birth wasn't a thing. Wasn't a thing. I've I've got a question because what I find really kind of hypocritical is if you're looking at this theory of monstrous births is that the the same people that came up with these ideas thought that the women played a completely passive role in childbirth and that a tiny, uh, full, complete human was uh, contained in the sperm and that women were merely the vessel for the father's child. Not merely the vessel, because a woman was the vessel in which things could go wrong, which is why your vessel's best kept in safe storage. Uh, while incubating. <laughs> That's horrific. So not only do are, are women incapable of adding any good into the child, they are then responsible for anything that goes wrong. I, I believe that's exactly what this, what I initially thought, initially thought rather benign theory of monstrous birth is implying. What I find really staggering is that here we are, the dawn of the age of enlightenment, and actually the idea of monstrous birth has been gaining currency in the 17th century, in the century preceding it. And that's because religious theories of birth have been, you know, ousted in increasingly secularised society and kind of embryological assumptions have fallen out of favour. So by default, it's become an increasingly popular theory. And there's an obstetrician in this period, Dr John Mulberry, who's a very open advocate of it. He's testifies to having seen a Dutch woman deliver an evil little animal called a suterkin. A what? A suterkin. Do you know what that looks like? I can tell you exactly what it looks like. The likest of anything in shape and size to a moody warp. <laughs> so it looks like a moody warp, right? Oh, oh, a white hat? It's a mole. It has a hooked snout, fiery sparkling eyes, long round neck and accumulate short tail. No, I do not want to know what accumulate means. Is he describing like a star-faced mole? And if you don't know what a star-faced mole looks like, please Google it. They're so cute. Maybe. Maybe it was a star-faced mo- mole that on a ferry to Amsterdam he once saw crawl out of a woman's vagina. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, I've seen some weird shit on ferries, but I think that takes the cake. <laughs> I'm gonna... I have another question for yeah. you. okay. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a ferry? I can't tell you the weirdest thing I've ever seen. The weirdest thing I've ever done was play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on a pub quiz machine all the way from Portsmouth to Cherbourg whilst on a romantic mini-break with my first boyfriend. I'm not sure if that makes me feel happy or really sad. It's just a really sad story, isn't it? But I I really (laughs) like... I I really, really like trivia games, so part of me is really delighted by that story. Well, you know, I stopped drinking recently. I'm pleased that at least I have the pub quiz machine to take me in there for. And it's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I've noticed a definite improvement in my game. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. Okay, so back to monstrous birth. Yeah, so just to give you an idea of how, to what extent this theory, this explanation was embraced by the good people of London and Britain at large during Mary Toff's moment in the sun. Sales of rabbits dramatically dropped. Oh, goodness. Yeah, people people were um, afraid. Of... Does this mean they stopped eating rabbit? Or were these kind of pet sales? Rabbits were not pets during so, this period. Rabbits so people were exclusively were... eaten. That film, The Favourite, eh, it's wrong. That's okay, we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> we did. So much. <laughs> so much. Uh, so people were so disgusted by the idea of a woman giving birth to rabbits. No, no, no. People were were, were concerned that a pregnant relative might get a shock bomb from one of them. <gasps> they thought that if they had rabbits around the house, that yeah. their pregnant I, relative would give birth to rabbits. Yes. I, I mean, this was... There are lots of stories about pregnant women averting their eyes when confronted with deformity. Okay. Because they were worried that, you know, they'd see something that would give them a shock. 
and then they would they would pass on that deformity through the the power of imagination absolutely. to the unborn child. Absolutely. And it wasn't just the masses who were investing in this idea, you know, sober sober persons, as you know, the as they'd have said at the time, were entirely invested in it. Members of parliament and medical men were refused to pass, were reluctant to pass judgment one way or another. There was a real lack of certainty surrounding it. Something else I find really interesting, though, is we do really find ourselves here at a kind of transitional period because whilst there's widespread investment in this very arcane theory... The means by which they're testing it are very proto-enlightenment. Mm-hmm. There's a real emphasis on empirical proof. Okay. So there's, you know, the doctors are pickling, you know, the, 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 the rabbits. They're conducting experiments on them. There's a real emphasis on first-hand accounts. They're attempting to use these new tools to prove something exists in trying to make sense of this kind of unscientific experience. Exactly. Does the church get involved any? You know, incredibly, it doesn't. Um, you know what, maybe someone thought, I think, saw that this was a shitstorm co- coming. They <laughs> <laughs> were just like, okay, we dealt with this a lot in the yeah, 1600s. Yeah. It didn't work out well for, no, no one came out that looking like a hero. Yeah. Well, the Reformation <laughs> happened. They and lost a lot of power. Also, I mean, the 18th century isn't my period, but arguably science is the new religion during that. War is becoming it. Sounds good. Let's go with that. (laughs) Now, up until now, we've had um, various largely German uh, specialists visiting Mary and by and large investing in the idea. But a new faction is about to enter. A very powerful man called Sir Richard Manningham. That's a great name. I know, it's really good. Richard Manningham? Sir Richard Manningham. He's oh, I, to... I dropped the sir. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think you know him well enough for that. Well, maybe you do. <laughs> lucky thing. He's a member of the Royal Society and the Royal College of Physicians. And he's not only a sir himself, but he's surrounded by a coterie of peers of the realm. His assistants are elected from the foremost nobility, only dukes are on the roll for emergency duty. What, what, what kind? Yeah, what, that's amazing. But like, what <laughs> what kind of service do you need a duke for? The military? Um, uh, I think you need a duke to to find out whether or not a woman's really given birth to a rabbit. <gasps> So he descends on Godolphin, which is presumably doing a roaring trade in uh, at Airbnb at the time. And rabbit figurines, oh, postcards. I really hope someone got on that. Little little watercolours of Peter. I'm going to say that some of that was anachronistic, but I'm entirely <laughs> with you in, in spirit. Um, I want the T-shirt. So I'm Richard Manningham has his doubts from the outset. And he asks for the placenta of the last rabbit delivered, which he promptly identifies as half of a hog's bladder. <gasps> In fact, he asks Howard if he can have one, a real hog's, a certifiable hog's bladder to compare it with. That's How- very scientific. Howard conveniently has one in his freaky little anatomical museum. <laughs> and Sir Richard Manningham finds them to be almost exactly the same. Okay, but if he's got... A hog spotter in his museum, isn't it going to be like dried and old? And I'm, I'm assuming there was some sort of pickling involved. Maybe oh, it was I a see. fresh one. Maybe Richard got lucky. Yeah, oh, I think Richard. I think pickling is is probably gonna. Mm. That makes a lot more mm. sense. Sorry, I was just imagining this like shriveled the, the... piece of awful. Ooh, uh. I, I'll have you know that hog bladders play an important part in Scottish. Oh, wait, that's sheep. That's sheep. I'm sorry, Scotland. Is it is it haggis that's in a sheep's bladder? It's in a sheep's bladder. And also, I'll tell you what the majority of the offal in a haggis is. It's called the pluck. You know what? The pluck. Can you please not tell me what that means? Because I really, really like haggis. Trachea. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one being made. Uh, it's a miracle I still eat and love the stuff. Both the... Placenta come hog's bladder delivered by Mary and the one presumably pickled extracted from Howard's freaky little museum have the same strong urinous smell. They smell like piss. Mm. Mm. Lovely. Bladder. Things you want to stick up your fanny. 
<laughs> Possibly not. Actually, I mean, it wouldn't be the first thing that I've shoved up my family that smell like piss. It, I actually That's how willies were. Cutters, cutters, but do. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Everything you shove up your fanny, well, the I feel like I we're how, getting into conversation about how often your previous partners have washed their willies, and that's possibly something we want to about, stay away I from. Talking, I was talking about sex to masturbation ratio, actually, but okay. 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 <laughs> so, so Richard Manningham decides to take Mary to London. He wants to keep a closer eye on her. Whilst in Godolphin, oh, for goodness sake, Godolmen, Godolmen. Whilst in Godolmen, she's been watched round the clock by his assistants and the security will be even more intense once Mm -hmm. he's installed her in Mr. Lacey's Banyo in Leicester Fields. That sounds that sounds like you're saying banyo, like as in bathroom. Banyo. It is. It's a bathhouse. Oh, okay. Well, so I know from a book I'm reading that, or read, in Russia, bathhouses were where birthing took place, where the birthing went that down. That actually makes sense. Yeah. Easy to clean. Mm-hmm. Access to yeah, water births. It's mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 a straight up, it's a straight up good idea. If something's going to crawl out of my vagina, I prefer to be in a warm bath, I'm going to be honest. I feel like there's a lot, a lot here that... Uh, <laughs> We really need to cut. <laughs> so, um, Mary is installed in Mr. Lacey's Banyo in Leicester Fields, opposite the palace of the Prince of Wales. And from this point on, she never bears another rabbit. <gasps> Poor Bereft Mary. Mary. It's a little sad, but hey, she's had 17. 17 rabbits. She's breeding like rabbits. Oh. Yeah. Over what period of time do you know? So I'd say this is late November, two months. 17 rabbits. But she's delivering them in parts, so actually it's more births. Oh my god. Oh, and I didn't cut the cat's paws in the head. And the lights, the lights, the lights lights and guts of the pig. Once she's installed in London, there's a sort of stalemate, I suppose. She's surrounded by physicians with different agendas. San André is desperate to prove that this is this is real you know he's mm-hmm. he staked his reputation on it in fact he's immediately written uh something and he's the swashbuckling swiss with the sword from the king the dancing master yes <laughs> he's um he's he's written a sort of you know an advertisement um you know a, a kind of medical treatise on the subject which is due to be published in early december in which he anticipates the birth of the 18th rabbit in london are there any copies of this and where can i get my hands on one I'm feeling kind of exposed as not having done more research. Okay. Um, but they're out there. They're out there. I'm, I'm checking the Bodleian. No, and I'm going to see if I can get my hands on one next week. I'll take pictures. This is amazing. We would like, there's, well, there's a lot written about this case. Everyone involved is either initially venturing their theories or, late, or more likely than not later uh, publishing uh, denials and repudiations. Wow. Everyone. And then, of course, this is the age of Grub Street. You know, there are few more, well, better documented so they're of kind cases of, of medical controversy. They're so, flying pamphlets, advertisements, observations, flying around. So are there pamphlets being written? So there are treatises, medical treatises mm-hmm. being written on both sides mm-hmm. of the argument. And the pamphlets are more for like a wider audience, almost like entertainment? Yes. Wow. Actually, you know what? I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I believe that the ones being written by the medical men are actually being consumed by the general public as well. There's an element of sensationalism to them. Certainly they're very widely read and republished. Wow. What's interesting is not many one, though, is that not many people have actually published prior to it being proven as fact that Mary was, that this was a fraud. Not many people publish um, in argument, arguing against it because of this deep set uncertainty surrounding the subject. Not many people are willing to, you know, draw a line in the sand. In fact, Dr. James Douglas, who sounds, to be fair, like a very sensible man, uh-huh. um, who's one of the most respected man midwives in the land, he disbelieves it from the very first. He says, there's no way, there's no way, you know, uh, uh, he, 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 she couldn't be pushing it out of her uterus. It simply, it simply wouldn't fit. And actually, he, he did a, there's a very graphic account of a sort of examination he did of Mary while she was pushing out a bit of bladder, which he sort of shoves a his finger up around the side of it and feels that it's definitely only pocketed in the... I wish I wasn't miming this. Pocketed in the vagina. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Wait, I, wait, know, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I, I actually found myself looking at a, at a diagram of, of a uterus earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. 
when you use the term pocketed in the vagina, what does that actually mean? Because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm terrified as I'm asking this, mm, do you see, mm. you know, does it mean it's kind of shoved up the vaginal canal yes. or does this mean it's like hidden in a fold of the vulva? No, no, it's shoved up. It's shoved up. Right. I don't know how much storage space there is up there. I've never really explored, explored its full Not c- potential. Not much, generally. Well, Mary had had a few children. Okay. <laughs> Goodness. So we're in this banyo, Mr. Lacey's, in December, and it's chaos. There are doctors there desperate to prove it's real. There are doctors there refusing, uh, uh, frantically demurring. There's Manningham's faction who are want who want Arlers, uh, Saint, who, who want Saint Andre and his kind to be proven wrong because there's also a sort of like court element of this. They resent the Hanoverian king's preference for German-speaking foreigners. So there's a bit of a like there's a light hint of sort of xenophobia. Wait, is there a king during this period? Yes, there is. George the first. Okay, so we've gone from Anne to George yes, the first. Yes, she cool. passed during this period. Um, Mary is having regular convulsions, probably caused by infection. <laughs> Can't think where that came from. <laughs> you know, Howard and at Saint-André see this as labour. Manningham thinks there's something in her uterus. His theory is she's shoving things up her uterus and pushing them out. Douglas thinks it's hysteria or imposture. And while this is all happening, let's not forget she's subject to frequent invasive physical examinations. Oh, goodness. So what I find, I think for me... Mary is in control of this situation until she gets to London. And yeah. I imagine from her perspective, that's when she realises that things have, got, have gone a bit far. Yeah. Her body has essentially... Been taken away from her. Been taken away from her. And a lot of the satire surrounding that would follow, that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, would follow when this case was proven to be a fraud, a lot of it is highly sexualised quite unpleasant it's bolstered by the fact that man midwives were already perceived as being potentially quite lecherous yeah um and there's a potential pun in hair hair yeah that they really go to town with and you know it's distinctive because this is the first period in, in 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 british history where you know gentlemen all over all over london are tossing around terms like uterus and fallopian tube and perineum this is where it becomes exploitative. Up until now, I'd say Mary's been running quite a good... Scam. Quite a good scam, yeah. Now, Dr James Douglas, he of the sensible name, rightly observes that this, they've reached a point where medical arguments are not going to hold sway over public opinion. You know, mm. even if they manage to categorically prove, even if she delivers a rabbit and he categorically proves that people aren't going to believe him, they need something more substantial, they mm-hmm. need... They need a confession? They need a confession. So in early December, Thomas, second Lord Onslow, Lord Lieutenant of Surrey and Justice of the Peace, (gasps) sets out to investigate in Godalming and Guildford. And he finds that Joshua Toft, Mary's husband, has been buying young rabbits. I mean, guys, you should have at least bred them. I mean, we know you've got a male rabbit back in the in the back that she's been. What was it? Acts of kindness with? Yes, I believe that was that was that was a euphemism. Joshua's not only been buying young rabbits, but he's been talking, Ooh. bragging. Some might say, when purchasing rabbits, there have been sinister allusions to their small size not mattering, and he also said when purchasing one from someone else, from someone that. Oh, that it didn't matter if the rabbit was already dead. Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I'm going to say that the the thing that I find the most disturbing and weirdest about this is that when you first said, you know, Mary Toft giving birth to rabbits, I just assumed they were alive. So did I. And and the fact that they're, she's giving birth to dead, decapitated rabbits in parts just feels... Yeah. So much more disturbing. I completely agree. I mean, I Although, think... I, I was going to say, logically, that doesn't make sense, because if the rabbit's alive, then you're, you're, you're putting this poor, defenseless creature through a really harrowing experience. I completely, completely agree. And I think 
my assumption that she'd have given birth to live rabbits would have been more a result of my not really having given it any thought, never having been obliged to give something like this thought before. And actually, when there are mesotints made of her, I think there's this one famous one uh, made while she's in prison, spoiler alert, um, it actually shows her with live rabbits on her lap. It's yeah. because the hoary truth of it is just too grisly. Suddenly, it seeks, ceases to be a, a cheeky little historical anecdote and it becomes an act of grim desperation. Yeah. I have a really horrible question that I really don't want to ask, but I really feel like I need the That's answer. That's right. You don't have to. You don't have to ask it, Sarah. No, I, I, need, I need to know. Um, <laughs> did they kill the rabbits first? I don't think they were really chopped up by her uterus. No, and okay, skin, so there weren't by the pelvic bone. So there weren't any rabbits that came out whole. So it wasn't mm. like she shoved any live rabbits up there. I feel like from Mary's perspective, it would be less traumatic. But then again, I suppose if you're going for a convincing reveal, maybe you would give it a shot. Ooh. I cannot guarantee that no rabbits were harmed during the making of the story behind this podcast. It sounds like 17 rabbits were harmed in the story behind this podcast at least and the cat (laughs) and and a sheep if the sheep's bladder december the 4th it's a big date for us because on december the 4th finally it looks like the deliveries are going to continue mary is crying out in pain she's convulsing but that very evening before she can deliver thomas howard Porter at Mr. Lacey's Banyo mm-hmm. goes to see Sir Thomas Clarges, Justice of the Peace, to tell him that Mary Toft had tried to bribe him to bring her a rabbit. Oh, goodness. The game is up. Mary is interrogated for two days. After two days, she confesses to the bribery, but insists... Well, for two days, she, she maintains that she was trying to bribe the porter to get her rabbit because she wanted to eat some. Oh, so she's still craving rabbit meat. <laughs> yes. Um, however, she finally caves and confesses fully after Richard Manningham... And this is unpleasant. This is what I mean about the exploitation of Mary's body. Richard mm-hmm. Manningham... I'm not calling him sir because he doesn't deserve it now. Richard Manningham threatens her with a painful operation to explore her pelvic organs. Oh, goodness. Because she must be differently formed. And uh, that's it. She's had enough. She confesses to Sir Richard Manningham, to Dr. James Douglas, to Lord Baltimore and Duke of Montague. I mean, talk about distinguished guests. And Mm -hmm. this is the whole time she's been surrounded by these incredibly important men. She confesses on December the 7th of 1726, and she says, I will not go on any longer thus. I shall sooner hang myself. Goodness. Mary has reached the end of her tether. On the 5th of December, she is taken into custody. She's charged with being a notorious and vile cheat. I don't know you could charge people with that. I can think of a few people. <laughs> I might. Yeah, yeah. Um... And she, the case ultimately falls apart and she's released without prosecution. Why? Because pretending to give birth to rabbits doesn't actually meet the requirements of the crime of fraud because there's no financial loss. Mm-hmm. No one's essentially been defrauded. And she can't be charged with imposture because there's no crime of pretending to be a rabbit breeder on their statute books. Surprising. Wow. Did they change the law after this? Let's test it and find out. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's a bit extreme. I mean, just maybe ask any, like, legal people out there if they know of any laws pertaining to the birth of rabbits. Okay. If you're a lawyer... If you're a lawyer... How would you persecute Mary effectively under English law? Tweet at us, please. Why is she prosecuted to such an extremity? Because she actually goes before two courts the Westminster Quarter Sessions and the Court of King's Bench in Westminster, there is really the full force of the government behind prosecution. And although she's released without charge, she spends four months in Bridewell doing hard labour with in the invariable sort of 18th century wags coming along to point at her and make jokes about clearing out with a chimney sweeper's boy. Oh, goodness. My belief is that... Well, it's not my belief... It's widely believed that it's because she ridiculed the medical establishment. You know, she really made them look like a right load of ninnies. Which I'm going to go on a limb here and say they probably were. 
Everyone was lampooned, though, including, you know, even the sensibly named uh, Dr. James Douglas. The one who was trying to prove that she was a fraud. Yes. Still... Everyone is made to look ridiculous. The whole... Grub Street tears down the whole establishment. You know, it's, it's a free-for-all. It's, 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 everyone's lampooning a doctor. Um, Have you actually seen any of the political cartoons oh, around this? Oh, they are fantastic. Can you please send me some? I'll put I them up shall. on Instagram. San Andre is always posing like a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, there's, but then then Howard's always got he's got his arm sort of menacingly between her skirts with a lecherous expression on his face. Oh. Yeah, that's, I'm afraid that's very much that's very much a given. So Mary Toft actually features again in an engraving that Hogarth does in 1762. It's one of his most famous. It's called Credulity, Superstition, and Fanaticism. Ooh, I like the title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's getting angry in his old age. What do you think fanaticism has to do with this case? I think there was a fanaticism to the ex- in the to the extent in, in, to which people pursued their kind of own particular interpretations of what had happened, I and mean, the fact that San Andre has her transported to London, publishes immediately. There's a, there's a kind of mood of hype. There's a kind of hyper credulity and a kind of aggressive pursuit of their own take. Okay on what was happening. In this engraving of Hogarth's, we see Mary with her living rabbits again. No one wants to see, no one wants to see chunks of them. And a boy called the Boy of Bilson, who um, in the 17th century managed to convince the local religious authorities that he had been vomiting nails. You know, this is actually really an interesting case of demonic possession cases. Um, Lady demonic possession, here you come. I know, I'm sorry. I just, it's just, there's so many similarities um, because one of the main things that uh, those that were demonically possessed could in theory do was learning how to vomit foreign objects, including pins and nails and needles. And it's something that people like um, Anne Gunter, who was a really famous Mm. uh, demonic possession case in Oxford, in let's see i think the early 1600s like under the the end of queen elizabeth's reign mm-hmm. and was found to be a fraud that was just one of the things that she was able to do so i'm kind of wondering like where this is passed down because we're almost 100 years later and yet this is this is no longer something that somebody's assigned that they're possessed by the devil it no longer has that religious connotation mm-hmm. but as you said science is the new religion yes so they're still doing these exact same acts and it's happening by the same types of people teenagers peasants but they're trying to sell it as a, a natural act yeah. of science yeah yeah i think when Hogarth uses the term fanaticism, you ask, you know, why fanaticism? It's because he is commenting on that continuity between mm-hmm. sort of like insane religious interpretation and yeah. insane scientific one. That's that's brilliant. What's fantastic is that they're both equally hoodwinked and by unimportant members of society. Yeah. I, I saw the quotation marks. That's fine. <laughs> um, is there a sound I can make when, uh, when, 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 I, when I'm doing that? I mean, we could, like, snap our fingers instead of doing quotation marks. I don't know if I can snap my fingers, Sarah. Oh, no. It's really sad. Um, Another reason why Mary is prosecuted with the full force of the law is because of the involvement of the Prince of Wales. (gasps) It's embarrassing. Oh, my goodness. You know, he's sent along his personal physician. She's lodging virtually opposite his pad. Oh, God. And a lot of the satirical commentary at the time draws on it. Here's a nice example of something that's really rather lewd. Um, it's a poem called Much Ado About Nothing. There were a lot of great <laughs> poems written about it's this. It's a good title. Um, is it alive? San Andre cried. It is. I feel it stir. Is it full grown? The squire replied. It is. See, here's the fur. He lapped it in a linen rag then thanked her for her kindness and crammed it in the velvet bag that serves his royal highness. I'm thinking the velvet bag here is a euphemism. I, I'm, I'm feeling that too. <laughs> <laughs> and all this, all this stirring and growing. Yeah. Call me, call me dirty-minded. I, I don't think it's you. I think it's them. 
finally, you know, the most important reason, I think, why the full force of the law, I'm going to keep using that phrase because I really enjoy it in this context, is brought to bear on Mary is because she is a poor woman, to use the terminology of the time, and I don't think they mean as an unfortunate, a poor woman who has fooled them all. Mm -hmm. She has fooled some of the greatest minds in the kingdom. She has made them all look ridiculous. And this is the last poem I'm going to read. I promise. I enjoy it so, though. This is called The Doctors and Labour, and it's kind of the seminal text. Can you just say, like, last poem this episode, so I don't get sad? Oh, yes, okay, of course. There'll be many more poems, and I'll probably just read you some after the episode. Okay. (laughs) Poor Mary Toft, in ignorance, was bred. Nice. And ne'er once betrayed a deep designing head. Ne'er seemed cut out for plots, yet never did wife like her impose so grossly on man midwife, whose scorning reason, common sense and nature placed all their faith in such a stupid creature. Mm. No one comes out of that well. No. Do you want to know how she did it? Yeah. Okay. Please tell us. So tell us, Ash, how did she do it? Mary. So do not attempt this at home. Okay. Warning duly noted. She put the rabbit bodies, or the bits of the rabbits, into a special hair purse. Now, this is spelt H-A-R-E. So I don't mean... No, I'm not entirely sure if it means a purse made of hair or a purse designed to put hairs into. Right. Yeah. Who knows? So definitely don't try try this at home. There's a real lack of clarity. (laughs) Having done so, she would fake labour and then introduce the bits of bodies into her vagina on the sly. I imagine there was some practice involved in order to do Or really, really long labia. (gasps) She'd make a great sleight of hand magician in a different age. I'm really impressed by this, actually. I feel like I might have seen someone do something like this at the Edinburgh Fringe. Now I think on it. (laughs) No, that's not it. I saw a woman pull a really, really long red cloth out of her... At the Edinburgh Fringe. At the Edinburgh Fringe. This was not Not Amsterdam or anything of the ilk. Not at a party. Right. Okay. It's now. Good thing to happen at a party, though. Um, Mary said that she was agreeably surprised how little skill it took to fool the men. She actually referred to Dr. Allers as a fumble-fisted fellow, as was never cut out, to handle gentlewomen. A fumble-fisted fellow. Yeah. I love the alliteration on that, and I feel like it aptly describes some of my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> really, really. But affectionately, right? With affection, no. In some cases. They'd probably not be thrilled to hear themselves referred to as that. It's okay. They know who they are. <laughs> and they should stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> they're not gonna, they're only, they will only hear things that hurt them. <laughs> so after Mary returned home, she disappears, not unsurprisingly, into virtual obscurity. She has a daughter born in February of the following year. I'm amazed she still can, to be honest. Well, it leads one to think. In fact, that means there was no doubt she was pregnant for when much of this the... was going on. Yeah. <sighs> Hence, perhaps, some of the sort of, like, contortions of the abdomen. Yeah. Um, in 1740, she's on record as having been imprisoned for receiving stolen goods. Mm. She seems like a rather mundane little crime. Yeah. In comparison. And in January 1763, she dies. We know this because her obituary is printed in major London newspapers alongside the news of the deaths of peers and statesmen. How old was she when she died? She'd have been 63, so not a bad innings. Uh, 60 years old, not bad innings for a poor woman of the dolmen. Yeah. I guess the one thing you haven't really shown light on yet is her motivations. Well, there's not much written about it. Funnily enough, no one was really that interested in why Mary did what she did. Goodness, that's all I want to know. Yep, well, one wonder, I mean, my personal, you know, the most obvious theory to me seems that she was hoping to get herself a pension out of it. But that seems like a really long shot, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and, and quite a sort of... Weird, strange way to go around it. High-risk yeah. strategy. Maybe she was not mentally well. That's possible. But she was certainly assisted in it. That's the thing. There were other people who were involved in this. You know, 
many believed that Howard would at some point have, you know, realised that this was... And her husband. And her husband. The woman and and her mother-in-law. Really? Who, yes, many think she was involved. And her sister-in-law. That, and many think that San Andre actually might... Might have been in might on have it. Might have been in on it too. I don't know. He just sounds too pompous. I don't think he was smart enough. Yeah. You know, actually, funny, aftermath for San Andre uh, was virtually ruined, um, lost his practice entirely, as did Molyneux, who was one of the um, original doctors to visit her. Um, Molyneux, however, was fined by virtue of being married to an incredibly wealthy woman. Two years later, <laughs> Molyneux died and San Andre married her. Oh, my goodness. Many wonder if he poisoned Molyneux. Oh, well, poison does seem to have appeared to further his career before, shall we say. In various oblique ways. Um, there is, however, one theory about why Mary did what she did, which I've come across on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's from an undergraduate taster lecture given by Professor Karen Harvey at mm-hmm. the University of Birmingham in just February of this year. And Ooh. I should also say that I've also, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at lots of different texts when researching this. I did not travel back through time and I will be citing them elsewhere. Um, but I love what Professor Karen Harvey has to say about this. So, Godolman at the time, the rich, the gap between the rich and the poor is growing, as it mm-hmm. is in much of that area of England. And there would have been increased social tensions as a result. There were, in fact, lots of protests taking place in counties around Surrey, in Surrey itself, and in Godolmin. The governing elite were concerned. Mm -hmm. Now, one major focus of tension was poaching. Stealing animals that were considered legal property of landowners. Joshua, we know for a fact, had been involved in a large-scale protest at a landowner's fish pond. Now I mentioned earlier that rabbits in that period were not pets. Mm-hmm. Rabbits were wanted for their meat and for their fur and they were a relatively rare commodity. They were a symbol of the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Now the poor had a problem in the rabbits not realising that you know that they belonged to one person in particular mm-hmm. uh, would encroach on their land. Of course. Perhaps while they were out doing They're fairly migratory. a bit of weeding. Preambulatory. Nicely put. During this period, the legal status of rabbits has just changed. Previously, they were wild animals. Now they are enclosed. They've become private property. And stealing private property in this period is a capital crime, punishable by death. Uh So when Mary Toft admits that she chased a rabbit, Uh she is essentially admitting to attempting a theft. Is this admission a form of... Of protest is the very birthing of these rabbits a form of protest women were really involved in protests around food during this period yeah. as the chief providers at the home i like this theory it seems like i mean we're talking about convoluted ways to go about things yeah i mean quite <laughs> i can't see that delivering a that that, that, that staging a birth of rabbits is ever going to be a straight up approach uh, for <laughs> protest. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of makes me think of like Pussy Riot and yeah. some of the things that they've been doing. Yeah. I feel like it's quite a radical form of protest, but she it's does. It's kind of Dadaist, isn't it? You it know? is. It's like very, very, very sort of anarcho surreal. <laughs> but if you're. If you're somehow setting out to make the establishment look like Mm -hmm. a bunch of asses Mm -hmm. and at the same time drive down uh, the the market for rabbits, she did a fucking amazing job. I mean, there's a there's a slim chance that Mary was one of the most for one of one of the most strategic radical sociopolitical figures of her age. And not to mention borderline performance artist. Oh, yeah. Oh, not borderline. I don't think there's anything borderline about that. She's basically staged a happening. I think think if you're willing to commit to shove decapitated mammal parts Mm. up your vajayjay. It's a bit like very edgy burlesque. Oh, yeah. I did, after all, see a woman pull a scarf out of her. You did. At the Edinburgh Fringe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so radical. I have to call it a... (laughs) um well this is this is brilliant that of course leaves only one question 
Is she a demon or is she a dame? I've got a different question. Okay, good, because I'm not sure what the answer is to that one. Um, do you think that she was demonized? Well, initially she gives birth to demons, doesn't she? Yeah. And it's a form of... Her, her, her demonic nature lies in her weakness as a vessel. Mm-hmm. The, her highly impressionable imagination. She doesn't have sufficient agency to be a demon. Later, she is depicted as one, but I think one of the reasons there's so little engagement, engagement with her motives is because to ask why she did it is to give her some credit. And some agency, exactly. and they really want to deny that. Yes. I think she's depicted more as a, as a misguided fool, I suppose. This is also happening. She's not really depicted at all. She's kind of absented from it, from from the conversation. You know, this is the people who the people who come off badly are, are the medical men. So she's still a vessel. Yeah, you know, when you when you, in one of her photographs illustrations, she's really just a pile of skirts, two legs sticking out. Yeah, there's a lot written about this period about um, the. I think my briefly mentioned this before about men trying to take over the miracle of birth mm-hmm. and you see that in the role of the midwife um, waning uh, the witchcraft persecutions mm-hmm. are a large part of that and men are suddenly coming into the birthing chamber for the first time really in the late 1600s early 1700s and and through this and you have the the rise of the male mm-hmm. midwives and it it's taking it's like the patriarchy coming in sorry i said the word ash the patriarchy coming in and taking away the the one area of of magic and agency Mm. left to women yes and i can see that sucks it really does and i can kind of see mary just doing this as a giant fuck you to the establishment maybe it's a form of protest against the sort of Co-option of the female, yeah, of the female mi- mi- miracle of birth. Yeah, as well as you know poaching. Mm. And in order to sort of to protest the way they've been stripped of their kind of power, her pa- she's been stripped of her power as as a as a birth mother. Yeah, she's she's warped it. She's perverted it. She's yeah. and thing around she's despoiled it. And around rabbits, it's like that's the means of production by which a lot of women survive mm-hmm. still because they've taken away the commons of which... Um, so the land has become uh, less communal. It's more in the hands of the gentry. In the same way that her body would then become... And, of course, there's an analogy, isn't it, between the privatisation, of essentially, of the female body and of the land. Yes, exactly. Quite smart. Well... <laughs> I feel like that is the only explanation that actually resonates or makes any sense to me. And I don't even know if that's the sort of thing that you could imagine why you're doing it in when you're in that case and you're saying, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to fool people, I'm going to stuff, you know, rabbit body parts up my vajayjay. Um, I wonder to what extent it was sort of ideated and what extent it was almost a kind of instinctive process that maybe once again I'm doing just what this, but not... What, what what the men of the period would have me do in my interpretation. You know, you often hear that sort of, who would you have round for dinner? If you could have anyone. Uh, kind of, it's a bit of a party. Who, who would your th- three people be then? I'm, I'm not going to give you three. I'm, oh, okay. That would, that's too big a question, man. It's taken me my whole <laughs> life to pick the first one and it's got to be Mary Toft. Okay. Can I come just as not one of your three, but just to hear what she says? Only if you're willing to wait table. I can do that. I'm I'm really good at pouring wine. I don't drink. Oh. But I bet Mary does. I bet Mary does. Um, you know, I'll pour God, her she some must, wine. I bet she needs one after all that. I'll uh, pour, the, pour the sparkling water. I'll Thanks. keep it coming. Yeah. Belvoir Cordial's <laughs> baby. Sponsorship opportunity, just saying. <laughs> yes. If you make cordials and you like our podcast, please get in touch. <laughs> I second that. I just took a sip of one, by the way. You may have heard me go, ah! It was fantastic. Rosé Elderflower. Can't beat it. Just so you know, we're not actually getting sponsored. But we could be. Mm-hmm. Two episodes in. Dreaming hard. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't like to call her a dame because I feel like that buys into a certain like classism that goes mm-hmm. against everything this is about. I fear, Sarah, I fear 
Hmm. Only two episodes in. The problem is, wouldn't we all rather be demons than dames? That's a really good question. So that's the story of Mary Toft, and I'm glad to have had an opportunity to tell it, because actually when we first started talking about doing this, she was the person that I always knew. She was the, she was the kind of woman I had in mind. I've, over the years, I've, I've returned to her Wikipedia page in many a dark hour. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing this with me. It has been fascinating. You're very welcome. Good night. Bye-bye. We sit in coffee shops and discuss the subject of love. We speak of our men folk, then we give up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Demons and Dames. We will respectfully encourage you to rate us, to review us, and to recommend us to your friends. And enemies. It might make you like them a bit better. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Demons Dames Pod, on Twitter at Dames Demons. Or you can get in touch with us via Facebook or demonsanddames at gmail.com. Bye! He says that he loves